You are listening to The Great Reset, Brotherhood. Chapter 4 Mr. President Six months after the devastating bombing of New York, security around the White House was tighter than a drum. Tensions still ran high in the United States Capitol, and the grounds of the executive mansion were teeming with a mix of regular army and League of Nations enforcement units. Security fencing and constant patrols encircled the iconic white building day and night. Amidst this atmosphere of palpable tension, a silver Mustang approached the first of many security checkpoints. Its exterior was shining and immaculate. Inside the purring sedan sat Parker Flynn, wearing a grey suit and black tie, his face framed by clear aviator-style glasses and a thick mop of brown hair. As he pulled up to the gate, a security guard leaned into the open driver's side window and flatly asked, Name and reason for entry. While this was happening, a second guard was circling the vehicle with a sniffer dog. Parker Flynn, special counsel to the president, pass number Sierra, Charlie, one, five, nine, Parker responded, his voice filled with a professional calm. The guard turned to a logbook, beginning to scan it to verify Parker's details. As Parker waited, he glanced into his driver's side mirror to see the dog stopping, lifting its leg near the rear tire. Oh no, Parker exclaimed as he impulsively opened the driver's side door and started barking commands at the dog. Don't you even think about it, Mutt? The guard handling the dog, caught off guard by Parker's sudden exit from the vehicle, dropped the leash and reached for the rifle slung over his shoulder. Realizing he'd broken protocol, Parker immediately raised both his hands, shielding his body. Take it easy, buddy. I am no terrorist. It's just the tire shine, you see. It's... You know what? Never mind. I'm just going to get back into the car nice and slow. Sensing its handler's tension and now loose from the leash, the dog began to snarl and lunged at Parker. In a single swift movement, Parker re-entered his car, slamming the door shut just in time to avoid the snapping jaws of the dog. Fixing his glasses and regaining his composure, Parker looked back at the guard in the booth and asked, Well, can I go now? Parker Flynn drove through the labyrinth of security, finally reaching the West Wing. He got out of his Mustang, took a deep breath to shake off the earlier incident, and headed towards the Oval Office. The hallways of the West Wing buzzed with activity. Staff members darted to and fro, some cradling phones between their ears and shoulders, others hurriedly riffling through folders and briefcases. The tension was as thick as the security outside. Washington had become a boiler room, and everyone was feeling the heat. As he approached the threshold of the Oval Office, Harry Robbins, the White House Chief of Staff and gatekeeper to the President, intercepted him. Good morning, Parker. The President appreciates you coming in at such short notice. You know what he's like, gets an idea at 4 a.m. and runs with it. Parker, while less than thrilled about the interruption to his sleep cycle, had to admire the President's relentless drive. Not a problem, Bob, he said, patting Harry on the shoulder. I'm at the service of the President, day or night. Am I good to go in? Harry looked relieved at Parker's easygoing response. Yes, of course, he's just finishing up with Henry, but he wants you to go right in. As Parker entered, the grand cream doors of the Oval Office swung open, revealing a space that had become intimately familiar. The room was dominated by royal blue hues, with white walls and the iconic Wilson desk near windows draped in gold. 
Sitting in the middle of the room on golden couches were President Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger. Kissinger looked up from a document he was perusing and adjusted his glasses. Come in, kid. Take a seat. Parker bristled a bit at the term kid, but given the Watergate fiasco, he couldn't afford to be too prickly. He was on thin ice with the president and needed to rebuild trust. Parker, yes, sit down, Nixon spoke softly. Parker nodded and took a seat next to the president, feeling the soft, luxurious cushion envelop him. Parker, Kissinger began, the president and I have been talking, and we have a special assignment for you. The job would involve you locating a person of interest and relaying their whereabouts to us. Parker glanced from Kissinger to Nixon. Seems like a cakewalk, sir. Who's the person of interest? Are they strictly civilian or political? Nixon looked at Kissinger before returning his gaze to Parker, flashing an awkward smile. I think we'll be steering clear of political espionage for a while. Don't you agree? It was a clear allusion to Parker's involvement with the plumbers, the team tasked with Watergate-related activities. That disastrous operation had been overshadowed by the chaos in Manhattan, but its fallout still haunted the administration, especially now with League of Nations oversight. No, you see, we want you to track down Mark Herald, Nixon clarified. Parker suppressed a laugh. The international and currently most wanted terrorist Mark Herald. Look, Parker, Kissinger interjected, we know what you're thinking. This is ministry territory, and the last sighting of Herald was somewhere in Brussels. But here's the thing. The League, with all its resources, hasn't done jack to catch this guy. Hell, as far as we can tell, they don't even have a team looking for him. That's why we need to send in our own man, someone unaffiliated with the ministry, and preferably someone who's got a mind of his own. Parker sat back, mulling over the proposition. He had never been abroad, and, like many Americans, was largely isolationist in his thinking, unconcerned with international affairs. But the idea of utilizing his particular skill set on a global scale to hunt down the world's most wanted man was tempting. Look, gentlemen, while I'm intrigued by the idea of playing, what would you call it, a special agent? You have to cut me in on what the angle is. Parker finally broke the silence, his tone both calm and confident. Nixon leaned forward. Parker, this administration is in damage control. The voters need something, or rather someone, to rally behind. Since the Manhattan incident, Congress has extended nearly full access and emergency powers to the League of Nations. We've always sought to limit the League's influence, and we've been successful so far, especially with Hoover at the helm of the Washington Ministry, focused mainly on domestic issues. Nixon paused, reached for a manila folder on the coffee table, and handed it to Parker. But all that changed this morning. Hoover was found dead of cardiac arrest in his office. Parker flipped open the folder, his eyes narrowing at the black-and-white photos of Hoover's lifeless body sprawled near his desk. Any foul play? Kissinger shook his head. Not that we can tell. The man was nearing 80, and with his work schedule, it was inevitable. We just thought we'd have more say over his successor. Parker frowned. Doesn't the deputy usually step up? That's usually the case, Nixon interrupted. But with emergency powers enacted, the League has free reign over ministry-related decisions. So who do they want? Parker queried. Kissinger handed him another file. It's called the Big Brother Program. Since the London Ministry was the only one to prevent a brotherhood attack, they're proposing to centralise control there. Most of Europe is clamouring to sign up. They'd rather let Big Brother take the lead than risk another Paris or Stalingrad. Parker skimmed the document and looked up. So, to fend off Big Brother, 
We need to succeed where the Ministry failed. Capture Mark Herald, regain control of Congress and send the League packing. Nixon nodded, his awkward smile returning. Exactly. How, how soon can you be on a plane to London? Without hesitation, he responded. Right away, Mr. President. Good, good, Nixon beamed. All three men then stood up, and Parker moved towards the door. One last thing, Parker, Nixon spoke in a cautious tone. You have my condolences for your brothers. Wrong place, wrong time. Parker then froze momentarily at the threshold before uttering a flat response. Thank you, sir. With that, he closed the solid white door, leaving the two men and his grief behind. You have been listening to The Great Reset Brotherhood by Blake Hamilton, 